I saw a video not too long ago of some workmen that really, for me, captured this idea of what it means to have your life hidden in Christ, to set your mind on things above. And so I want to show you uh, these uh, two guys that are working on Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio. Eu não posso te atender agora, filho. Eu estou no alto da mão da estátua do Cristo Redentor. Um beijo. Te amo. Maybe I should have warned you, if you have a fear of heights, you should close your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I want to tell that guy while he's chiseling that hand that he's on the wrong side of the arm. Right? Like, he's on the end chiseling here. He should be here, so if the hand falls off, he doesn't fall. It doesn't matter. Anyway. Um, I, I love, the first, that's a breathtaking, breathtaking statue, right? And I, I love that moment as they, as they ascend in Christ and then find themselves out there on his arms doing the world. And I think, you know, that's part of what Paul is talking about in Colossians, right? He's saying, I want you to find yourself in Christ. Your life is hidden in Christ. And I want you to set your mind on things above, right? So you begin to see the world as Christ does, uh, valuing what Christ values. 
Uh, just, just an incredible, incredible moment. So I, I want to think a little bit about um, that video we just saw and that experience of literally climbing out on the statue of Christ uh, and how perhaps we might use that to reflect on our responsibility to, to find our lives in Christ and set our minds on Him. And we're going to do this by talking about the life of David a little bit and uh, unpacking that story that we jumped in the middle of. So uh, I want to suggest there are three really important components, probably more, we're going to do three, uh, of what's going on on that statue and what's going on in Colossians and what's going on in the life of David. And the first one is really quite simple. Uh, In order to set our minds on things above, we have to leave the earth behind. You have to leave the earth behind. Uh, And and Paul says this um, with absolute crystal clarity, right? He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly. He talks about fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire. He talks about anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language, lying. He says, look at your life. What in you is is earthly, right? What in you is of the dust? And as you ascend uh, into the life and the person of Jesus, what can you not take with you? What do you need to leave behind? Uh, and, And I think... Um, we probably all recognize to some extent that there are things in our life, part of our earthly existence, that we have to leave behind if we're to attain our heavenly calling. What does that look like for you? Um, what's in your life that, um, that just needs to get put to death, just left behind, uh, so that you can make space in your heart and in your mind to ascend to Christ? We, we know a little bit about David we know a little bit about what he needs to leave behind, about um, what parts of David's life are um, particularly earthly. Uh, and and there's, a, there's a point in his story that I think points us towards the story of this civil war with Absalom that we need to be aware of. So last week we talked about uh, David and Bathsheba and Uriah and his sin and his confession. Um, we didn't really get very far into the story of the prophet Nathan. Um, But after David sins, after he brings Bathsheba into his home, God sends the prophet Nathan to to call him out on what he's done. And uh, in the midst of that, um, Nathan has this beautiful metaphor. He talks about a rich man who has huge amounts of flocks and sheep and a poor man who lives next to him has one precious lamb and how the rich man takes that man's lamb and uses it to serve a meal to a guest rather than using one of his own sheep. David gets righteously angry and says, that man deserves to die for what he's done. He has to pay back um, sevenfold what was taken. And then Nathan says, that's you, right? You are that man. You're the one who stole. Uh, and then Nathan says, what you ha- why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, for you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, I will raise up trouble against you from within your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor." And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this very son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. 
in the story when Absalom begins his rebellion and raises up Israel as an army and when King David and his court are forced to flee into exile across the River Jordan into the land of Gilead, he leaves behind ten of his concubines, ten of his sort of um, wives, and Absalom very publicly lets everyone know that he's sleeping with them, right? just as Nathan foretold. And, and here's, I think, what, what we might take from this passage, um, that God calls us to leave the earth behind, to put to death those things of us that are not of God. And if we won't deal with those things privately, then God will deal with them publicly. That's what David learns, right? That if he won't deal privately with his sin, then God will deal publicly with his sin. And I think this is a a wake-up call for us as well, right? That um, all those things that we think, boy, I've got this one under control, and no one needs to know about it, and and I can keep this under wraps, and I'm going to get over it on my own um, without going for help, without making any progress, without working on confession or repentance. Remember that David uh, still is living a married life with the woman he raped and whose husband he murdered. At some point, God says, hey, you know what? You're not going to be able to keep this under wraps anymore. What you didn't deal with privately, I will deal with publicly. So, I think this is our first question. Look at our lives and examine, as Paul calls us, to see what is earthly, what needs to get left behind. And, and by the way, this isn't a solo endeavor. God sends Nathan to David. Who's your Nathan? Who are the people that come alongside you and when you find yourself um, looking away from Christ and to the earth, who are the people that lift up your head and say, hey, let me remind you about what's really valuable and good in your life. Let me encourage you to turn away from this course. Um, Who are the people that you might trust enough to go to um, when, when it feels like everything's falling apart to say, hey, I need somebody to come alongside me. I can't do this on my own. Everybody needs a Nathan. Everybody needs someone who loves them enough to speak truth to them and call them um, to leave the earth behind. Okay, that's our first thing. The second thing um, that those gentlemen did as they climbed the statue of Jesus is they harnessed themselves to Christ. Harness yourself to Christ. And, and by the way, uh, if you've ever done any rock climbing or climbing wall stuff or whatever, the way you put your harness on is really important. Right? So, you've got to strap in the right things in the right order. You've got to use the right carabiners. They had all kinds of stuff you saw them clipping on and, and equipping. That's really important, right? The order you do it matters a lot. We were in Mexico a few weeks ago, and we went to a place that had a zip line, and um, my kids were really, really excited about it. And I'm not, like, crazy about heights. They're not my favorite thing. And so… Krista is even less excited about them than me, so the four of us walk up to this zip line, and it is enormous. I mean, it's, you're like on a cliff, and there's a zip line that goes a couple hundred yards at least down into the ocean, right? So you end in the water. And because you're ending in the water, you have to get out of your harness quickly, right? So it's not like a regular harness where you zip around your legs and around your waist and there's carabiners. No, it's like, it was like this plastic Honestly, it was like a giant plastic diaper, okay? Um, And you just stick your leg through it and you hold on and that's it. You're not tied in at all. And I was like, I mean, I told Krista this was going to be fine and we could bring the kids and she didn't think it was a good idea and here we are. And um, I I can't let the kids go first. So I'm like, all right, 
Dad, Dad's going to go first. So I climb in this plastic diaper, and uh, I, no kidding, I looked at my wife and my kids, and I said, just so you know, I love you guys. <laughs> and then, you know, it was awesome. It was super fun, and I didn't die, and none of them died, and it was great. Um, the way we harness ourselves to Christ uh, is that we got to put things on in the right order, right? Um, in that moment, as I thought, oh, maybe I'll live and maybe I won't, um, what mattered to me was the order of my love, right? That my kids knew that they were loved. Um, and uh, St. Augustine talks about this. St. Augustine talks about the root of all sin being disordered love, right? When, when we love things that are good more than we love things that are great. Uh, it's, it's really good to love uh, entertainment, and it's really good to love, you know, zip lines, but if I don't love my kids enough to go first, that's a problem, right? Um, the way we, we strap into God matters. And if Jesus is the last buckle we belt before we go out uh, on that statue, we're going to be in trouble. And, and I think this is part of the problem with David, right? We see this in this Scripture, and we see this before the Scripture. In this passage, David is overwhelmingly sorrowful about the death of his son, and we get this, right? I mean, we, we understand how incredibly tragic that must be. But then his general comes to him and he says, David, you got to understand, um, these men that have been fighting for you and dying for you now think that you don't care about them, right? Your, your love is disordered. Yes, I know you lost your son, but 20,000 people just died battles. And every one of those men that died has a father that loves them who's mourning them. Right? Every man who survived lost a friend or a brother or a neighbor, and they need to know that you care about them too, that your love for those who fought for you exceeds your love for those who fought against you. We see this elsewhere in the story of David. Um, this civil war, um, the foundations of, of it are laid with David's sin with Bathsheba, but it's another disordered sort of love mistake that David makes that prompts this whole rebellion. David's firstborn son is a guy named Amnon, and Amnon um, falls in lust, not in love, with one of David's daughters, his half-sister, a woman named Tamar. And perhaps because of the behavior he saw modeled by his father, Amnon rapes Tamar and then um, casts her aside um, instead of caring for her, simply wants nothing to do with her ever again. Tamar's full brother is Absalom. Absalom brings Tamar into his home and loves her and cares for her for the rest of her life. And the Scripture talks about what David does when this becomes known to him. When King David heard of all these things, he became very angry, but he would not punish his son Amnon because he loved him, because he was his firstborn. You should love good things, right? Loving good things is good. But the order in which we love things matters. It's great that he loves Amnon. Um, but what about Tamar, right? What about Absalom? What about the rest of his family? What about his nation, which sees a king rejecting righteousness and truth because it's my firstborn, he can do whatever he wants? 
Absalom ultimately takes justice into his own hands, murders his brother Amnon, flees for years, comes back, is welcomed back by David, and then later starts his rebellion. What's disordered in your life or in our lives? Where are we looking and saying, hey, I, I love all these good things, but I'm not loving them in the right order? Something has come between um, my heart and Christ. Something has come between my heart and my spouse or my children um, or my family. The way we love things matters, right? The order in which we love things matters. Um, I love my kids, but if I love my kids more than I love my wife, it's going to mess up my kids, right? If I love my family more than I love my Savior, it's going to mess up my family. And David is the perfect example of this. So, uh, if we want to be a people who lift our eyes up and see as Christ sees, we got to put our heart in order. we got to harness ourselves to Christ. Uh, and then the last thing, uh, I think that's so important um, as, as we reflect on the life of David, on this passage in Colossians and that statue, is we have to form our pain into power. We have to form our pain into power. On that statue, I hope you noticed from the, if you could see on the words there, there were lightning rods all across the head and the arms and the hands. You see those little metal spikes sticking up? Uh, and the, the gentlemen are up there doing some kind of repairs, um, but those lightning rods are, are an incredible protection for that statue, right? And in fact, they, they, they keep it from being, I, I assume, damaged or demolished on a regular basis because of its elevation. Uh, and, and when the lightning hits that statue, and rather than destroying it, it, it maybe makes those tiny little imperfections, right, which those workers are up there chiseling to correct. And the effect of that lightning um, is actually to draw, literally to draw men there, right? It draws people to come out and, and walk in the arms and the hands of Christ. And, and I think this is the goal of the Christian life, right? It's not that we live without pain, um, but that somehow the lightning in our life can draw us closer to the arms of our Savior. Uh, David, in, in one of the good moments of this story, David gets this right. Uh, David, above the gate in isolation, is mourning the loss of his son Absalom, and as he weeps, his his um, commander Joab comes and says, you've got to come down. And David somehow channels the pain of losing his son and becomes a father to his nation again and sits at the gate and allows the troops to come before him uh, and, and um, does what a good king is supposed to do for his army, right? He, he hears their pain and he celebrates their victory and he honors their sacrifices. Sometimes the experience of, of that lightning can be exactly what draws us into Christ if we can turn our pain into power. Um, one of my new favorite authors is a guy named Levi Lusko, and he tells a story about the death of his daughter. Um, when his daughter died, she was five years old, and after the death of his daughter, which was unexpected and tragic, um, he and his wife found, just like three days later, this box. They had gone a few weeks earlier and bought these rings for their two girls. 
and they were going to be like promise rings, right? Not a chastity belt, but an invitation to a relationship with Christ as their first love. And when they found these rings, it was this, you know, horrible sense of heartache, right? That we, we lost our daughter and, and all of what we could have done with her and dreamed for her is gone. And, and they decided, um, since the funeral was just days later, to take those rings and uh, to give their daughter, her name was Lenya, to give her that ring that they had planned for her. And I just want to read you a little bit of this experience for him. He says, uh, as they stood before the casket, with a peace we weren't expecting, we enjoyed tender and special moments. With this body, we enjoyed seeing for five beautiful years. This was the body we saw in the ultrasound in Jenny's womb, the one I scooped up in my arms and twirled around and around in circles, our Lenya, our Lenya lion. Jenny handed me the ring, and when it was on the finger of her left hand, I stroked her hair and sobbed. Before a tree is a tree is an acorn. An entire building springs out of a simple blueprint. World-changing inventions leap off sketches hastily scribbled on napkins. Victory comes to those who can see past the seed. Harvests look nothing like the kernel that produced them. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Jesus rose, and one day when He returns, all those who sleep in Christ will rise bodily. We committed Lenya's body to the soil from which it came, believing it will spring forth when the trumpet sounds. It is this which anchors my soul when I stand in the cemetery and lift my eyes to the sky. In a larger sense, that ring on her finger drives me as I write this book for you. Death might have deprived me of the opportunity to continue the conversation with Lenya, but God will have the last laugh because that motivates me to have it with you. What the thief has taken must be restored sevenfold. I am the father of a daughter cut down in the spring of her life, and I will have vengeance in this life and the next. Anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God knows the number of apples in a single seed. It is ordinarily the job of children to think of their parents' legacy. God has given Jenny and me the bittersweet honor of stewarding the legacy of our child. I believe that the ring buried with Linnea's body and the conversations stolen from us are a seed. I speak up as a father, for the father, to any one of his children who will listen. This book is my message in a bottle, containing what I would have told Lenya, opened up for you. You are worth more than you know. You are created in the image of God, and your value exceeds that of rubies or diamonds. You are loved, and you are lovely. You are appointed and anointed to rule and reign with God as royalty. You are the head and not the tail. You are from above and not beneath. You are a leader, not a follower. Learn to derive delight from God, and things you wouldn't dare to dream will come to pass in your life. No matter what is behind you from this day forward, embrace God's plans for you. I read that story, and I thought, that's turning pain to power. That's using the lightning to draw others to Christ. That is the core of our hope as Christians in resurrection, right? That, that the worst this world can offer will be undone by the goodness of our God. So I want to ask you this morning, as you think about what it means to lift your li- eyes to Christ and to find your life in Him, what is the pain that the devil wants to use against you that God wants you to use against the devil? 
What is the suffering in your life uh, that is not going to defeat you, but um, from which you will drive the overwhelming desire to bring resurrection hope to people who are going through what you've gone through? Um, The pain of losing a child that David understands and Levi understands is one of the greatest sorrows we can experience in life. But whatever your sorrow is, from that sorrow, God can work resurrection hope. There is nothing that He cannot do. And one day, not only will Levi stand with Lenya and David stand with Absalom, and we stand with all of our loved ones, but together with us will be the entire legacy that came from our love, right? Will be every soldier of Israel for whom David was a father. Will be every person who read Levi's book and lifted their eyes up to God. We have the incredible capacity to turn the lightning into the life of Jesus Christ and the people around us. So set your things, set your mind on things above. Find your life hidden in Christ. Leave the earth behind. Harness yourself to Him. Turn your pain into power. And trust in the promise of the resurrection. Thanks be to Him. Amen.